Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. So good to see you this day when the sun peaks out after however long it's been. We struggle in Queensland, don't we? This is the life of uh, many other countries, but we just love our sun. And so I'm so happy to see the sun out, but I'm so happy to see you. You know, we've been covering, and thank you, team. Sorry, sorry. Thank you, team. They do a fantastic job leading us in worship. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I'm jumping in straight away because uh, I feel like there's a, uh, there's a level that I think God wants us to start at. And we've been going through this series that um, the last three weeks, or not last week, but the two weeks before where Pastor Andy, Pastor Cam shared about the rich young ruler. And we've titled it, What Must I Do?, which is a play on words because the reality is, as we know, when you've been around the gospel, that it's got nothing to do with what we do, but about what Christ has done. That when we come to salvation, when we step into that place where Christ puts us as, uh, where we're acknowledged and we're declared as in Christ, that, that it's got nothing that we have to strive for to get it or to keep it. That there's actually, it's got nothing to do with our power, our ability, but with all of His power at work in us. That I've said it before, it's not a contract that's correlated with our performance or our consistency. It's got nothing to do with that but a covenant that is signed, sealed, delivered in His blood and and heaven is just the start. That is our foundation. But when we've looked at the rich young ruler, and we're going to read the third account, it's in Matthew, Mark, and we're going to read in Luke again, or rather for the first time, the account in Luke. When we look at it, we see that there's this conundrum for him. Jesus says you've got to lose something to gain something. You've got to lose something to gain something. We even sang in the, in, the, in the second song, New Wine, that I let go of the old flames to pick up the new. That we have to lay something down to pick up something new. That even as we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he, his, his example through the cross and then the resurrection is that he even knew that he had to lay his life down to pick up the better, the new, the resurrection life. There's a pattern there, but it's challenging. And yet, I want to start on a different verse, and it's Matthew chapter 13, 44, and I'm mixing this around, so we'll jump to this scripture, guys, put it up on the screen. Matthew I think it was 14 verse 33. And this is where I want us to start. It's a parable Jesus tells, and it's this. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. This is intriguing to me because... What is described as the kingdom of heaven, the life that we all actually desire, the life that is a life where death and decay does not have the final say. This man in this parable sees the kingdom and he says it's a, it's, it's a treasure. And actually, there's a joy. I don't know if you have um, ever traded cards. I probably did it for a couple months. 
Uh, maybe it's sports cards. Maybe it's other types of cards. I don't know if you, who's traded cards before? It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, there's a bunch of us. How many know when you see a card that you have been wanting for ages and you buy the packs and you're looking through and you buy the packs you're looking through and then suddenly it appears and it's not in a pack, it's in another person's hand and this is where the trading comes in. What are you willing to do to get that card that you so treasure in your heart, that you so desire, you so long, you're joyful that you finally found it. You're willing to lay down all these other cards to get the one that you really long for and treasure. It's that kind of joy that we see here. And I love that Clarin talked about perspective. Perspective. Because Paul in Philippians, he says, and I want to read it, and we're just going somewhere here. Paul in Philippians, sorry. No, it is in Galatians. Is it Philippians? Philippians? Let's go Philippians. Yes, Philippians. Philippians 3, 7 to 9, he says, But whatever were gains to me, the things he thought were a gain. He's just talked about all the symbols that culture and society say, this is when you've made it. When you've ticked these religious boxes, you've ticked the, you, you're at the elite of the religious. When you've got power, when you've got money, when you've got authority. Paul said, I've, got, I've had all these things, but suddenly when Christ came into perspective, this is what he says. All those I thought were gains to me, but I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. When Christ came into proper perspective, he realized all those other things were lost when it came to Christ. He said even, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ, come near and follow Christ and be found in him. This intrigues me because when we think about loss, we think of a heavy heart. But actually we see in Paul and we see in this parable that there is a joy in the giving up because of the perspective of what we are gaining. What we are gaining. And so with that in mind, let's go to Luke 14 and read Luke's account of the rich young ruler. We start in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I just want to flag that eternal life is not that he was asking about limitless time existing forever. That actually eternal life related to the kingdom, related to what was called the age to come, which was just as much about the future as it was about now. It was an expectation that the Jews had then that when the Messiah came, heaven would burst into our reality on earth. And those who had met whatever requirements they had said would be the ones who would inherit eternal life then and into the future. So this wasn't just about living in heaven. This was about experiencing the kingdom now that he was asking. And, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. He's ticked the religious status marks. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. And this is where Jesus gets to the heart of it. That there's actually, it's not about those behaviors. It's about a blockage in his heart that needs to be released for the kingdom to come. And he says, sell everything you have and give that to the poor. And you will hear this, you will have treasure in heaven do we see the treasure before us? 
then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. He looked at, um, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible. When we look at this, and what we see here is a man who was young, he was rich, he was a ruler, which meant he had status, he had power. Not many people were rulers, not many people were rich. He had power, he had status, he had everything that the culture at that time and even our culture would say, you've made it, that is how you get life, that is how you get what you're longing for and yet it's intriguing that even though he had all of those things that everyone else desired, it still wasn't enough. That actually in the question he asked, what shall I do? What do I need to do? It reveals that he was still searching, he was still longing for this fulfillment in his heart for this place of rest that he hadn't gained the significance the acceptance the approval he hadn't found that place anywhere yet in all of those things and he's still longing he's still longing and i love it he comes to jesus which man that's a good decision he comes to jesus and he he discovers in coming to jesus that jesus doesn't actually deal with our behaviors He, he looks more at the heart and the blockages in our heart That actually it's not about what must I do, but it's about who will you follow. And in following someone, there's a cost. If I put it this way, we're all following someone. We're all coming to someone. Even if we think we are self-made, I've made it, I did this for myself. I got to this point, I, I did this for me. The reality is... We didn't get that script from some from ourselves, we got it from somewhere, somewhere. Even if we just recognize the technology in our hand, we realize we're not actually self-made. <laughs> Reality is, we're not self-made. And there's a cost with whoever or whatever we follow. It's demanded of. There's a cost. And so in one sense, Jesus is saying, you have to let go to, to, to gain this. But the reality is, is we're all letting go of something to gain something. There's a cost, there's a sacrifice. And this is what Jesus is getting at for this man, the blockage in his heart. And we haven't spoken of this yet, but Jesus instructs the guy, sell all your possessions. What is Jesus doing there? Because it's not prescriptive. This is a description. I've heard of people saying, well, the Bible says it, so I've got to sell all my stuff. It's not what's happening here. This is a description of something in in the man's heart. Pastor Andy put a slide up a couple of weeks ago when he was looking at the contrast between religion and the gospel and one stood out to me. It says this, Since I look to my, religion says, since I look to my pedigree for my spiritual acceptability. In other words, when I have a what must I do mindset, my heart, it manufactures idols. Things that are fine and good become ultimate to me. Talents, moral records, personal discipline, social status, money, power, they become ultimate to me. I absolutely have to have them. So they are my main hope, meaning, happiness, security, and significance. 
That's what religion says. But gospel says, I have many good things in my life, family, work, possessions. They're fine. But none of these good things are ultimate things in my heart to me. I don't absolutely have to have them. So there is a limit on how much anxiety, bitterness, and despair they can inflict on me. That's the cost. There's a limit when those things are not ultimate on how much anxiety, fear, bitterness, despair can inflict on me when they are threatened or when they are lost. It stood out to me. What was Jesus saying to this man? He was saying, Jesus, Jesus was saying, hey, your blockage is that money, possessions for you has become ultimate. That actually the longing in your heart for the kingdom, and I would suggest that is a longing in every heart. We actually see in our context, in our world, that actually we're trying to live the kingdom mindset or the kingdom project, but without the king. That actually we're trying to get a world that is all loving, all accepting, a place of approval, a place where we can um, be who we created to be, a place where death and decay doesn't have the final say. That actually we're trying to get that, but we're struggling with the idea that we need a king. And actually within our hearts, for this man as for us, the challenge is, is what is really our ultimate? What is our ultimate? What is that thing? And it can be anything. What is that thing that you build, you're finding, you're building your life around? That you're placing everything around that one brick, that one cornerstone, that thing that actually it is the thing that you look to for security, that, that gives you peace, that gives you a sense of um, of. of uh, a, yeah, of no fear, which is peace. I was trying to find another word, so I said it that way. Yeah, you're looking to it for your security, or you're looking to it also for love, which is that place where you feel significance, that place where you feel value, that place where you feel that you have purpose and meaning and value. The reality is it can be anything. But what Jesus is saying here when he says, come follow me, he's saying, I'm the only one who can truly fill that role. If I put it this way, when I talk, and we've said this before, when I think of Liz and my relationship, it could be very easy for us to look to each other as our source of security and our source of significance, value, worth, and love, and to elevate each other to a place of ultimate a place where we get our meaning, a place where we get happiness, a place where we get all of that. It can be our ultimate. And But the reality is when we do that, we become aware that we could lose it. We become aware that that thing that is ultimate can be threatened. And what we see in those moments is that actually when we put that expectation on the other, we crushed them because they were never created. Things were never there designed to bear that weight. And that's where the bitterness or the despair or the anxiousness comes in. 
What is it in your heart that is ultimate? And the reality is, Jesus saw for this man, it actually has a cost, even when we don't see it. A cost that it's taking from us. And Jesus wants us, Philippians, it says this, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is the heart of Jesus. That actually, he's not just called us and, and wants us to be liberated, but to learn to live truly in his freedom. And that is his heart here in this account. He wants this man to live in freedom, in the joy, knowing the treasure that is the kingdom. But he's saying for that to be, for your deepest longings to actually be satisfied, to find that place that is rest, that place which is home. He's saying you need to reconcile in your heart what is ultimate and what is not. And to lay those things down. The reality is, is they're not bad things. It's good things that are fine, but when they're out of perspective in our life, they start to cause a blockage and fear, anxiousness, despair start to come in because all our meanings around that. You know, an example for me of a, a fine thing that can become ultimate, and it's been challenged the last 19 months, and this might sound silly, but it's actually running. I absolutely love running. I love getting out on trails. It might be more generically, some people might relate to exercise. That thing is like where we get our confidence. Like if I'm fit, I'm confident. You know? and, but I love getting out on trails. And about 19 months ago, I injured myself. And I thought, oh, all good. It'll be done with in a couple of months. It'll be good. I'll, I'll rehab it. It'll be good. And actually, it's taken time, and it's taken time, and 19 months on, I'm still working through it and haven't been able to run. And one of the things that actually God's taught me through this and I'm being challenged on is this point. And it might sound silly, but anything can be, um, can take, can be elevated to that place where God is. And so for me, I've had to think, like, is this, why am I so despairing about this? Why am I so latching on to this why am i so those moments frustrating it's okay to have those feelings for a time but it challenged me is this my ultimate life if i never had this would i be okay if i only had jesus would i be okay and actually yes <laughs> actually yes i don't know what it is for you Good things that can be elevated just out of perspective out of their space but like paul said when compared those things I thought were gains when compared to the treasure that is Christ, the treasure that is the kingdom, the, 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 a life where death and decay does not have the final say, a life where mourning is replaced with joy and, and dancing, a life where there is, <laughs> there is life that we don't know, we've never known. When compared to that, Paul says that is actually a loss. Shift that from the gain column to the loss. That's a loss compared to gaining Christ. So tonight, what is it that maybe needs to be the old flame laying down to pick up the new flame? You know, in Hebrews, I'm captured by the description the author gives to the readers of Hebrews, the listeners of Hebrews, and it says, they were people who fled to the hope that was set before them. They were people who fled to the hope that was set before them. This is not about laying something down for something that's dreary and dry. It's actually a hope. Peter describes it as a living hope. 
He says it's a living hope. It fascinates me, this description, that they are described as people who fled. Like, they're like, it's not even worth it. Where I've been, what I've been looking for is over here in this hope, and I'm fleeing to it. Man, what a joy set before them that would have been. You know, in Peter, it talks about a living hope, and it talks about an inexpressible joy, an inexpressible joy. I would say from that description that inexpressible joy is found in living hope. That actually when we see the hope that is Jesus, when we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal and to enlarge our view of how amazing that is, that treasure that is found worth laying down and giving up all for, that there's an inexpressible joy attached to that. An inexpressible joy. It's not a joy based on circumstances, but a joy that is based in the understanding, not just an understanding, but the revelation that just as at the cross, death did not have the final say, our circumstances in whatever we're facing do not have the final stay. Jesus has the final say. It doesn't have the final say, and that is an inexpressible joy because it gets rid of the striving. It gets rid of of the trying to make it on our own. It, it stops and it helps us reflect and go, actually, those things which are ultimate, I see in comparison to you, to all of that, what is the kingdom? It's nothing. It's actually loss. It actually costs me more when I make that ultimate, that actually that place of ultimate is only fit for Jesus. And that's why when we come back to the man, the rich young ruler, that Jesus says, hey, possessions have been your ultimate. Let that go. It's not that he would ever, never have possessions again. He doesn't say that those things won't happen again, that, that authority. But when you receive those, it will be from a different heart for a different purpose. And it will be for the kingdom that will extend beyond. That actually, as it says in Scripture, and it's in Mark Those who lay down their life will find it, but those who find their life, keep it, hold it tight, will lose it. That's the image here. And I always wrestle with that. But I've had this revelation that actually, back to that parable, the kingdom is a treasure. And when we start to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that in the lives of those around us, I think sometimes we think this is the kingdom here, but it's not. It's the stories in the lives around us of God in our hearts transforming a life by the power of the gospel to suddenly enter in and be in that place of in Christ where again we do not have to strive, but we have fullness of life. Hmm. And so that when we look at the rich young ruler, we see it comes down to again. He wanted the kingdom without the king. And Jesus' invite, come follow me, is not just a nice invite or just say, hey, make me your main thing, although he's saying that. He's saying, when you make me the one you come close to, the one you follow, these blockages that cause anxiety because you're fearing losing it or you're fearing that you won't have it, these blockages, I'll deal with those with you. And things will find their right perspective. And I'll journey with you. It doesn't mean it's all easy. It doesn't mean it's all fine. But there's an inexpressible joy despite our circumstances because of the living hope 
we now see and we engage with. I sa- you know, I said it this way, we see it in the lives of those around us as they encounter the gospel. I think in Nexus Care and there are so many stories of people who've come in with their head down in despair. And as the team has ministered practically and then started to encourage with word, we see lives start to shift, dispositions start to shift because the kingdom is being expressed through us. People who've laid their down to pick up something greater, the kingdom expressed through us. And the joy you see on people's faces when you first encounter the kingdom. The joy. Oh, it touches your heart. And sometimes I think we have to remind ourselves of the joy that is the gospel in the stories of our testimonies. Ah, it's so beautiful to see a life transformed by the kingdom. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.